Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I, I'd been a Christian about three years. I was ready to give up. Okay, I didn't cuss. I wasn't sleeping with anyone. I uh, I was a nicer person. I was going to church. I was actually reading my Bible regularly. But internally, lust, greed, comparing myself with others, and internal anger, they weren't changing. And I thought, maybe this doesn't work. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Today's guest is Chip Ingram. Chip is the teaching pastor and CEO of Living on the Edge, an international teaching and discipleship ministry. A pastor for over 30 years, Chip is the author of many books, including Holy Ambition, Discover Your True Self, True Spirituality, The Real God, The Invisible War, and the soon-to-be-released book, Yes, You Really Can Change. Chip and his wife, Teresa, have four grown children and 12 grandchildren and live in California. For the show notes for this episode, go to alanwhite.org forward slash episode three. That's A-L-L-E-N-W-H-I-T-E dot O-R-G forward slash episode three. All right, Chip, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Alan. Thanks for having me. Hey, good to have you here. Um, so we met about six years ago. You were pastoring a church in uh, Silicon Valley, and uh, you set a pretty big goal. I think you had about 100 groups at the time, and uh, you wanted me to help the church get to 400 groups. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, so we we did curriculum with Holy Ambition. And if you just maybe tell the folks uh, the rest of the story on that. Well, you know, we learned that... Um... You know, life change happens from the truth, of course. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. People can hear it. They can read it. They can listen. But there's something powerful, Alan, when uh, people hear, when they study, and then when they interact with one another with a purpose that, what does God want us to do? And that was the real goal. And so Holy Ambition is about discovering your purpose. And I think the subtitle is something about transforming God ideas into, you know, practice or reality. And what we knew was there's a lot of old ways to do small groups and it takes weeks and weeks and you get a group of people to sign up over here and you recruit a bunch of leaders. And we decided with your help that we would um, try to do, and we had good trust. So we literally said, hey, if you will just volunteer, we'll help you, we'll equip you. By that we meant Alan will with our team. And, uh, and you can invite believers, unbelievers, because of the nature of it, everyone wants to find their purpose. And it was a tremendous success. So we had people say, okay, I'm, I'll do this. And then I'll recruit my own group even. And uh, those of you that are already in a group, that's fine. And we just had hundreds and hundreds of people go through, actually probably thousands of people go through it and hundreds of group launched. And then the neat part was pretty soon stuff started bubbling up. And a, a guy that, uh, I mean, this is one of scores and scores of stories, but it was the, the fall and winter was coming. And he was a guy that had never been involved much. He was invited to a group and he saw a homeless person and said, we should do something about that. 
and built into the the small group material was this idea that what is your group going to do instead of you know so many small groups i don't mean this critically but it gets to be about you know talking about what the text says and and sharing your life and all that's really important but the missional part often gets neglected and this was a very missional focus and so this guy said i i think um i i like to maybe find all my old coats and jackets and just help some homeless people and would you all do it with me well they said wow what a good idea so they started to do it well then they shared it well all i can tell you is i can still remember these huge bins hundreds or hundreds so the whole church said wow that's a great idea we all you know i i don't know maybe four thousand people were attending the services at the time mm-hmm. we uh we saw people clothed and helped and loved that's the story from one small group that got missional so thank you uh you did a great job on that and uh god god worked in, in the bay area because of it well, and that's it's it's good to hear, and so thank thank you for the opportunity there. Now, church has changed in the last twelve months significantly, and uh, I know a lot of pastors uh, were either, you know, hunkering down to wait for it all to blow over, or they were doing the best they could to get online, and and uh, ministry has been decentralized, you know, beyond what anybody ever imagined. You know, the old debate of, you know, should we be a church with small groups or a church of small groups? Well, all of a sudden, everybody was a church of small groups because nobody could meet in person. Um, Now, you have led um, Living on the Edge for quite a number of years, and so you understand the idea of a decentralized ministry. You have groups that are all over the country, all over the world, uh, studying materials. what kind of insights would you have for a local pastor who finds himself in a decentralized ministry that he probably was not equipped in seminary to lead? The first thing I would say, I actually, uh, during this uh, pandemic, we ended up probably out of preservation and my own struggles. And my son's a pastor, so many of my close friends, and I saw guys really struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the larger churches that already had something online, they could shift. They had a, quite a bit of resources. But uh, for a lot of pastors, it was, okay, Facebook Live, how do I do that? How do you preach into a camera? Um, people are discouraged. Uh, how, do I, how do I maintain groups? And, and I would say in the last year or so, a lot of people have learned. And now I think some of the challenges are, are people are going to come back together uh, when I do start meeting in person, which even in California, where it's <laughs> it's opening up, but there's sort of this hybrid. The churches I know that probably are being most affected because, you, you know, we've been through, I think, some of the most divisive time in my adult life inside of the church, whether it's blue and red, you know, a 25-year-old versus a 65-year-old that happened to live in the same house. Yeah, maybe on the opposite ends of the continuum and, and, and both look at it through some very important biblical lenses. And yet, I mean, and then should I wear a mask or not wear a mask? Should the church open or not open? I have met and talked with uh, literally hundreds of pastors. And I've just I want people to hear, you know, uh, half the church says if I open the church, they're going to leave and keep 
The other half says, if you don't open the church, I'm going to leave. Right. So what I would say is, this may sound so counterintuitive, the greatest thing I think as a pastor you can do is, one, guard and make sure your own soul and your own family is in a healthy place. Mm, the pressure good. and the stress and the bad decisions that come from trying, you're not going to please everyone. Second, I think it's really important to get your key leaders and go back to what is our mission and what is our vision? What are we really trying to accomplish? Don't jump to what should our tactics be and should we open or not open or mm -hmm. mask or semi-mask? And then ask yourself if that's our mission and we've come together and we've prayed in light of the current situations and our world, it's different in Georgia than it is in California. It's yes. different for a church of 50, 100, or 300 than a church of 4,000 or 2,000. Not good or bad, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Now, in our cultural context, with where our church is, God, what do you want us to do and how? And, and I do think, you know, podcasts like yours, there really is help out there. I mean, if nothing else, you know, maybe you can give some pointers on where to, you know, how to do online ministry a bit better. But I think we've learned a lot. Uh, I honestly, I've seen some churches that have closed, uh, especially internationally. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some other churches, literally, they've grown in their small groups and doing them by Zoom. Yeah. Uh, they have actually seen attendance mushroom. Now, what they don't know is when and if we go live, if we go live and how that looks, I think what you need to do is be thinking about uh, what do we do then? And uh, we actually put together, and I hope this is not a plug, but I just did a thing for pastors, a global webinar where I did a six week series on, okay, what now, what next? What are the core things and where do we need to go? Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you can now that's great. Or something yeah, if your if your team can uh, give me a link to that, I'd be happy to put it in the show notes. It just uh, it just launched. And, oh, that's uh, great. That's yeah. great. Yeah, and I know that you know a lot of guys were, you know, COVID brought a lot of confusion, but I think COVID also brought a lot of clarity of what was essential in the church, what was not essential in the church, and I know for me, just in circumstances in general, one of the questions I uh, have started asking myself, I have it up here on the wall by my desk, is when something happens, I ask myself what does this make possible? Now, hopefully it's not my retirement or my firing, but what does this make possible? If, if yes. you know, what can we do now that we couldn't do before? Instead of looking at all that we've lost and all that we're grieving, um, I think it makes a big difference. Well, we're on the same page. Much of uh, what I did with pastors after talking to ones in India, Africa, South America, mm -hmm. America, was, hey, there are some losses, but... This is the season for innovation, for bold leadership, for not looking at what's been lost, but what new, there's few times that will happen in any hundred year period as drastic that will allow us to make some changes and address some things that really every major movement of God has happened, not during the mountain peaks, but in the mm -hmm. deepest lulls. Mm -hmm. One, we get dependent, two, we get new eyes, and um, this is not a Bible verse, but it is true, is, um, you know, what's what's the old phrase? Uh, the mother of invention. Oh, necessity I mean, is the mother necessity. of invention. You can't yeah. do it. I mean, 
There's a, there's a lot of people talking to their grandkids that before COVID said, you know what? Oh, I can't use the internet or, you know, I can't do this. I can't mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. I got news. They're doing it. Yes, they are. And definitely necessity is the mother of invention. Today's featured resource is the Exponential Group's Suite. The suite is made up of two books and an online course. You'll receive my first book, Exponential Groups, Unleashing Your Church's Potential, the Exponential Groups Workbook, and the Exponential Groups Course. The course is a behind-the-scenes look at the proven strategies which have launched thousands of new groups in the last 16 years. Each session shows you how we've done it and how it can work for your church, too. Great goals need a great plan. In this online course, we're sharing components of the Exponential Group strategy with you. Each of the 21 video sessions is available on demand. Many of the templates, timelines, and examples from the Exponential Group's workbook are available as downloads throughout the course. The sessions are packed with practical information that you can apply immediately, but we also want this course to fit your busy schedule. No fluff, just the good stuff. The Exponential Group Suite is available for only $25 with free U.S. shipping. The offer expires on March 31st, so sign up right now. Go to alanwhite.org slash offer for more information. Well, you have a new book out called uh, Yes, You Really Can Change uh, What to Do When You're Spiritually Stuck. And I saw that it's coming out in April the 6th. I had, they'll get this, Chip. I had a book that came out last year. My release date was April 1st, 2020. How's that for a release date? Uh, I would not do that one on purpose, no. but are you just fooling? No. Yeah, for sure. I wish I was, but no, that was the date. So yes, you really can change. And you talk about people being spiritually stuck. What, what do you mean by that phrase spiritually stuck? Well, I think uh, we all get stuck in certain seasons. I mean, if you even read through the Psalms, David, a man after God's own heart, I mean, you, you read that and you realize, man, he's dancing and praising God. And then there's a couple of them. It sounds like he's clinically depressed. So mm. life isn't even. Uh, sometimes there's spiritual malnutrition. You know, over time, you don't take in enough of the truth. Uh, some people, over time, you get caught in moralism. The Christian faith is about just being a good person or you get stuck in legalism. Somehow you think mm -hmm. that it's all about your performance or... Uh, honestly, sometimes you get stuck because of lack of variety. Sometimes you get stuck because you have some bad theology that you just think that it really all depends on you or, oh, it just all depends on God. Uh, sometimes you go through trauma, you know, you're, everything's going great. One of your kids gets sick or worse, or your wife or husband leaves you, or you find yourself in the middle of a church that's split. And it's like, God, where are you? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that really want to change, but maybe after a pandemic found that, you know, it used to be just a glass of wine before they went to bed and it's not just one anymore. Or, yeah. you know, uh, TV or that old logging on and watching some stuff that wasn't very healthy or anger issues. Mm -hmm. I think we all just get stuck. And in times like now, um, there's probably a lot of people that, it can be as benign as food or too much TV, um, that subtle drift where you don't hear God's voice and you know there's thoughts and words coming out of your mouth and a part of your life that is not what God wants it to be and it's not what you want it to be. And this book is about how does life change really occur? 
Oh, that's good. That's good. Because one of the things that has puzzled me, not only as a pastor, but also as a, you know, a believer myself, follower of Jesus, is that for, for someone who's saved, the Bible tells us we have the same power resident in us that raised Jesus from the dead. And, and so here's been my, my predicament. My puzzle has been, if this power is in me, why is it so hard for me to change? And you talk about in the book, the process of transformation. What, what does that look like? Well, the book is rooted and actually it's an exposition um, that I think is very contemporary of Ephesians chapter four. Mm. And uh, in the first three verses, he does something very counterintuitive. Transformation doesn't start with how most of us, when I trusted Christ, the first thing they said was, go to church, read your Bible, start praying and start breaking all those bad habits like my filthy mouth, etc. Now, uh, please don't hear that that those things aren't important, they are. But after Paul tells us who we are in Christ and says to walk in a manner worthy, in other words, your belief and your behavior tell the same thing. He says, with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. In other words, he says that actually life change is going to happen in the context of deep, authentic relationships. And then he's going to tell you that you already have this unity. And then verses seven through 10, he talks about that power that you have and then he'll then he says hey there's this supernatural community called the church that allows you to access it and then he gets to the personal side in verses 17 to 24 where he says put off and it's a picture it's a metaphor of take like taking off old dirty bad clothes mm -hmm. and have your mind renewed and then put on new clothes new virtues and that put off have your mind renewed I think many of us unconsciously have never learned that. And so what we know is good Christians don't cuss, good Christians don't log on to porn, they don't drink too much, they don't blow up with their temper. And we learn maybe to adjust the external things. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, I'd been a Christian about three years, I was ready to give up. Okay, I didn't cuss, I wasn't sleeping with anyone, I, uh, I was a nicer person. I was going to church. I was actually reading my Bible regularly, but internally lust, greed, comparing myself with others and internal anger, they weren't changing. And I thought, maybe this doesn't work. Mm. I didn't understand that I needed to renew my mind. I didn't understand that I needed to recognize what are those specific things, who I am in Christ, my identity, and then how do I put on? And so this book is really super practical for that person who says, this is my experience after 38 years as a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a great, great majority of Christians who couldn't try any harder to be good and try hard, try hard, fail, try hard, try hard, fail. And at some point in some areas that most people can't see, it's try hard, don't try quite so hard, fake it. Mm -hmm. And and then over time, pretty soon, you know, everyone else is watching movies that are pretty racy and you know, everyone else, you know, their language slips up here and there. And and pretty soon what's happened is, you know, it used to be wrong to have an unbiblical divorce, but it seems like even a lot of leaders are doing that now. And so now part of my passion in writing this book, Alan, is you know, when I read a Barna study or a Pew study, and you find that maybe eight out of 10 
professing, born again, I love Jesus believers, life is no different than an unbeliever. Yeah. The tragedy is they're missing out on God's best and perhaps equally, or maybe even worse, unbelievers see Christians not living like Christians and it undermines the validity of the gospel. And so part of this book is I long for people, you know, our, our tagline at living on the edge is helping Christians live like Christians. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean perfect. That means authentic. That means of course you're always on the journey, but you're really making progress. And when you blow it, you know what Christians do? They say, wow, I blew it. So I'm going to repent and I'm going to tell so-and-so I'm sorry. And I'm going to ask God for help and I'm not going to hide it. So uh, that's the heart behind what I'm trying to get across in this book. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's such a richness in a person's life when you practice dying to yourself and, yes. and, you know, and having that intimate relationship with God that it, it puts things um, right. You mentioned this a little bit, but that you quote in the book or to quote you from the book, um, you said evangelical Christianity has developed a culture in which no one is surprised when someone prays to receive Christ and continues in a lifestyle of minimal change. Um, how did the church get here and how can we challenge this trend? Well, you know, this is a trend that has gone on for, you know, a couple thousand years in ebbs and flows and different cultures. What I will say is uh, that is not the trend. I've been to China seven times in the last four years and mm. had my plane tickets before uh, COVID hit. And I will tell you, if you're a follower of Christ in China, your life radically changes because I got news for you. Um, there's a high price to pay to be a follower of Christ. And I think when the culture and Christianity uh, get sort of wedded together, and I think in our day, the American dream and, and the gospel somehow little by little got, got, got this relationship that was like too good to be true. And so instead of God's agenda, all through scripture is to conform us to the image of his son. I mean, I could quote literally 10 verses on, hey, this, this, is, this is the goal to present every man complete in Christ and to be pure, to be perfect, even as our heavenly father is. And I think it got shifted to Jesus is the way to be happy, uh, to be upwardly mobile, to have a great marriage, to have your kids turn out right. And so pretty soon, and, and I, I applaud, I think there was a time when, you know, there was such a separatistic view. I think the movement to be more seeker sensitive and let unbelievers know that the gospel is accessible. But I think we got so seeker sensitive that we just, we didn't get close to the culture we fell in. Yes. And so over time, um, what it means to be a follower um, in the name of not being legalistic, in the name of it's all about grace, which is true. But the Bible says, Titus 2, uh, 12 and 13, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to all ungodliness and worldliness and to live uh, holy lives. And so uh, I, I think it's been, you know, a, a gradual shift. And let's face it, we've got three major enemies. I still have my flesh, right? Yes. I still have those desires from my old life. Christ lives in me, but, uh, and my flesh is drawn. I have a world system 
daily, like never before, with access with the internet on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So there's great opportunity. Right. And then I'm in a spiritual battle where there are actual, I mean, evil angels seeking to tempt and to trick and to scheme. So it's a real battle. And if we don't renew our mind, if we're not doing what you're a specialist in, doing life in authentic community, <laughs> um, man, we are we're going to get killed. And I think that's happened a lot, but it well, doesn't have to be that way. I'm hopeful. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, to change our expectation, our expectation is when someone comes to Christ and they're saved, that their lives should be radically transformed. And I think sometimes in, um, you know, you and I can talk Turkey. I think sometimes in our effort to just keep them coming back, keep them yeah. coming back, that, um, you know, sometimes we'll, we'd be tempted to let things slip. But the reality is, if we're coddling people in their sinfulness, how are we helping them? You know, I, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. But on the other hand, it's like I grew up in a legalistic background. You know, I always mm -hmm. joke that uh, we, we were never allowed to belly up to the bar, but, you know, we could belly up to the buffet. And that's how we got the belly. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but and so I, I know that there's a balance, but I also know that, you know, God can work in us and transform us. And I remember talking to a young believer years ago who just felt like they were letting God down because they were struggling so much. And I said, Oh, I said, you're not letting God down. I said, the fact that you're struggling means that God's spirit is working within you when you need to worry is when there's no longer a struggle. That's the problem. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm right with you. And I think building on that too, is I think some, something happened along the way where being a good Christian is, is about a list of things you do or you don't do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and believe me, um, the Spirit of God is holy and it does produce a holy life. The heart of that, though, flows not out of rules that you're going to keep. It's it's intimacy with Christ. It's the, the goal of, yes, you can really change, is when you have intimate, deep relationship with the Lord Jesus and, and actually believe not just that he loves you, but he, that he likes you, that he wants to spend time with you. We all become like the people that we hang out with. Mm -hmm. and, and part of it is if we could just understand instead of, oh, I didn't read two chapters today. God's down on me. No, no, no. You maybe missed a good conversation, but he's for you. And so part of this book is about how do you experience God? Because when you do, you want to do the right things. Yes, no, I, I completely agree. Now, in the book, you talk about the idea of, uh, of passive faith. What, what is passive faith and why might that be dangerous? Yeah, I, I think passive faith is sort of like this idea of, um, God, I, I prayed to receive Christ. And if you're going to do something really significant, I'm waiting for you to, to show me what I'm supposed to do. Or, mm -hmm. hey, I'm passive faith is uh, a, a quick story might be helpful. Um, a guy would be in most churches and he came to our church. So I'm not, this is not negative anywhere else. This is, this is where I was the pastor. Okay. Uh, he went to a good school. He was a football player. He became a doctor. He became a specialist. He came to church regularly. Uh, he became upwardly mobile. If you ask him, he believed in God. He could articulate the gospel and um, found a few cracks in his marriage. His kids more and more became more and more entitled. And uh, I had a major injury and we got to know each other. 
And in the midst of that, I just was trying to say thanks. I gave him the book, True Spirituality, What It Means to Become a Romans 12 Christian, which mm -hmm. basically is just, I mean, the nuts and bolts of what does an authentic Christian look like? I mean, and relationally and grace-filled. And he read that book and he said, could we meet? And so we went and got coffee and he said, um, I'm not this. I thought, you know, if I come to church, I come to church. I like you. Um, I even give some money to the church. I mean, we're not super involved, um, but to be surrendered, he goes, I, I, I never, I never ever understood. I never even heard that before. And, uh, so we were talking a bit more deeply. And, and so I, I asked him, I said, well, have you ever done that? Have you ever told God, not just that I believe you for my salvation, but but I really, I want to follow you wholeheartedly. I mean, this isn't how you get saved, but this is the Lordship of Christ. And he goes, yes, I have. And I said, well, when did you do that? He goes, oh, about three days ago when I read, when I read your book. I said, oh, great. Wow. And so then he goes, and then his next one was, the next chapters are about renewing your mind. It's Romans 12, 2. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, I uh, you know, we, we got together about once a month then, and he's, you know, treating me for all my injuries. And I'll never forget, he started where because he's a pretty disciplined guy, he, he started reading the Bible every morning. After about two, three months, he said, do you understand the difference between being a Christian who shows up at a meeting on the weekend and a word-centered Christian? He goes, I thought I was fine. I thought I was doing great. He goes, I've been reading the Bible. He goes, man alive. I was so off. And here's it. I didn't know it. And I was deceived. And I mean, the change in his life, the change in his marriage, the change in his kids, it led him to actually take another job in another way. And, and I just think we have a huge percent of the population of very sincere Christians who God loves very, very much that just don't know the difference between passive faith. I go to church trying to be a good person drop my kids off at the youth group. I might even tithe. Um, I, I, I think I'm a little bit nicer than most people. I, you know, I let people in, in traffic. Uh, but that's different than Christ is the center and the Lord of my life. I'm renewing my mind. I'm in authentic community. I'm, I'm, I'm a part of God's radical agenda to bring light and love to the world. The adventure I think that people are looking for uh, that's where you find it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Hey, one last question before we go. What elements do you see are essential uh, in a climate of life change? We have a little acronym at uh, where I work here at Living on the Edge called BIO, B-I-O. And uh, the B is for before God. I, I believe life change, it's got, God changes you. <laughs> and so I, I encourage people to be before God daily and, and be before God corporately with other people. There's something that happens in the teaching of his word and worship. The I in bio is um, in community and that you can't do it alone. It's impossible to live the Christian life on your own. And yes, it's a small group, but it's more than that. It's heart, face-to-face -face authenticity. And then the O is on mission. So we talk about before God daily, uh, in community weekly, and on mission 24-7 where you just have this concept of, I'm a servant of the living God. 
as I pull out the driveway. I'm a servant of the living God with my roommate or my wife or my husband. God, what do you want to do at work? And, and then I think the, the, the last whole section of the book, there are certain things. You practice bio, but there are certain aspects of development, almost besetting sin type things that I think we all have some. You have to learn what it means to go into training. Mm-hmm. There's trying hard. It's going into training over time, renewing your mind around specific areas that he actually outlines in the end of Ephesians that develop some things that you realize, I never dreamed I could overcome these things. And so I would say bio and training are probably the context for major life change. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you, Chip. Appreciate having you here on the podcast. And the book is, yes, you really can change. Get it for yourself. Study it in your group. Teach it to your church. And it's out April 6th, uh, wherever books are sold. Thank you for being here. Super. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Exponential Group's podcast. Please rate this podcast to help others find it. Also, if you enjoy our monthly episodes, please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a single one. Our guest next month is Elliot Diaz from Mana Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. That when when he gave me the invitation, uh, it kind of started off like this. Hey, uh, Elliot, we'd love to have you on. Uh, we don't just want the big name people. So I appreciate for all of you. Look, this is I'm just a normal guy, uh, just like just like you guys are. But um, here's here's what happened. It was really really interesting because we did not expect this. Elliot is an ordinary guy doing some extraordinary things. Don't miss it.